0: resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 15. I'd like you to turn there with me in your Bibles. Mark 15 verse 42. Mark 15 42. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles ready. They stand ready. Just raise your hand. They'll bring one right to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Mark fifteen forty two, going into chapter sixteen through verse eight. Mark fifteen forty two through sixteen verse eight. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Mark fifteen forty two and when evening had come, And when he, when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that, he, that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. If you remain standing with me, let's pause for a word of prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to come to this day waking us up this morning, allowing us to have fellowship together and breakfast, and we thank you for the time of worship that the youth displayed for us, and we thank you for their part in their program and the focus there, Lord. I thank you that I didn't see any Easter eggs or Easter bunnies, but it was about the Lord Jesus Christ and him rising from the dead, and so they know the truth, and I thank you for that. I thank you for your truth and how you have made it known to us through your word and that word has been proclaimed by some faithful one who shared with us that truth of who Jesus is and what he had done. But it's your Holy Spirit, Lord, that brought the sense to us, that convicted our hearts of sin and and allowed us to, to have eyes open, spiritual eyes, so that we could see the truth and we could respond to it because you made us alive. You brought the gospel down to us and you gave us the sense and allowed us to hear and to receive, to believe and to be saved. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life on that hill called Calvary on that cross he died for my sin he died for the sins of all who would trust in him and all who trust in him have eternal life that's a promise from you we thank you that you keep your promise and you show that in the person of jesus christ open our eyes that we might continue in our worship in our service of him as we live our lives today open our ears to hear your word today Make it plain to us, then challenge and energize us to go out and to speak and to teach and to show forth and to proclaim your truth with our lips and with our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. text this morning will be found in Matthew chapter 20, 28, verses 1 through 8. It's so very similar to Mark 16, 1 through 8, but let me just read that, Matthew 28, 1 through 8. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The mention that's so very close to Mark chapter 16. I wanted to read that because it really has what I would call the title of a message today. And that title is Come and See, Go and Tell. The invitation that the angel gave to the women there at the tomb come and see, go and tell. What is it that he wanted them to come and to see? He wanted them to see the evidence, he wanted them to see the empty tomb. It's in Matthew that we find out that this man who's arrayed in white clothing is the angel who actually came down and he caused the earthquake and rolled the stone away. He wanted them to come and see that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty. What is that to show them? What are they to to reveal? What does that reveal to them? What are they to gather From that. Understand that that this man named Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Christ. Along with Nicodemus, they were part of a council that actually tried Jesus and sentenced him to death. But both Joseph and Nicodemus did not agree to that council, did not make that decision. They voted against that. And it's Joseph who, it said, boldly went to Pilate and pleaded to, to handle or to take care of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice in the Mark passage, in Mark 15, that it says he went to Pilate and he asked for permission to care for this body, the corpse, the dead body of Jesus. It says Pilate was a little amazed that Jesus had died already. That tells us something. That the crucifixion process was one that was governed by the Roman government, thus Pilate there, and the Jews did not have the right to put a person to death. They did not have that legal right to do that. And if they were to obey their law, their means of death punishment would be by stoning. But it was already prophesied that Jesus would die at the hands of evil men, but it wouldn't be stoning that would kill him. It says a spear would pierce through his side and reveal, in fact, that he was, as we look at the Gospel of John, that he was dead by then. This pilot who was amazed that Jesus would be dead already, that tells us that this crucifixion process was a long and slow torture to death. That's what it was meant to be. There were criminals who were assigned to this death penalty, and Jesus in the middle of the night was added to that list. And very next day, The sentence was carried out, and he was indeed put to death. So Pilate asked a centurion soldier who was over this crucifixion to verify that Jesus had indeed died. He went, and he verified. It tells us in the other Gospels that when they thought that the time had come for for these ones who were crucified to to, be put, to, to, to end their suffering and to die, that they often would break their leg. The gospel tells us that those two thieves that were crucified along with Jesus, that the soldiers came and they broke their legs and that was to end their life. Why would they break their legs? As you can imagine, that they were hung on the cross or suspended on the cross, But by their arms stretched out and their feet. and So the nail will go through their feet. Probably two feet at the same time. All the way through the two feet into the cross. And then nails through their hand or probably that wrist area there. And they will be suspended that way. And so the whole weight of their body will collapse and drag and pull on those nails through their hand and those nails through their feet. And so in order to breathe as they the weight of them will collapse and be compress their shoulders, compress their lungs, and it will be very difficult for them to breathe. And so just to get a breath, they would have to push on the nails on their feet just to lift up a little bit, to expand their chest, to take a breath in before they would collapse again. And so it was a very laborious task, just to breathe. The breaking of the legs would would not allow them to continue to lift up to get that breath, and it would be sure death for them after that. But that would be only hours and hours after they suffered. It says that Jesus was put on that cross in the third hour and continued on to the ninth hour and by that time they came to check and to see and they saw that the, the other ones were, were still living. They broke the legs of those two but they came to Jesus and they said he's already dead. And There is no need to break the legs of Jesus. Now why is that significant? It's not it's not that he didn't suffer as long as the others. No, the significance there is that the word of God had already said, and this is an amazing fact, that even though he would be brutally, painfully tortured and killed, not a bone would be broken. And so if they had simply broken his leg as they did the other uh, uh, thieves on the cross, Scripture would not have been fulfilled. But they came to him, and he was already dead. And so scripture was fulfilled that not a bone of him was broken. Why would scripture say something like that? For the skeptics around. For the people who would think, no, this is just pure coincidence that this happened this way. It was not pure coincidence. It it was something that was planned. In Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us that Jesus, it says, he was smitten by God. And it's tough for us to take that. Why would God do that? Well, look in the mirror and you see why. He did it for you and for me. He put Jesus on the cross in my place, and if you are one that trusts him in your place, so Jesus will go through that penalty to pay that for me. He's smitten by God, and God would do it in such a way that will fulfill all of His word and all of His truth. And he would be brutally killed, but not a bone, not a bone broken. So back to Mark chapter fifteen, Joseph went in boldly to ask Pilate for permission to take the body and. Pilate verified with the centurion that he was already dead. And so that's, that's documentation there. By a man who knows how to bring death and how to sustain life long so a person can suffer. That's the centurion soldier. He verified to Pilate, yes, he is in fact dead. One of the questions that we ask Was Jesus truly dead? And the answer clearly is yes. Verified not by his disciples only, but by the enemies, by the ones who put him to death themselves. They wanted to make sure, we're going to go through all this. Let's finish the job. It was done. In fact, Jesus used the word, it is finished. He completed the task. The Bible also says in his last words, he says, Father, into Your hands, I commend my spirit. I I like the way Jesus died. He died full of faith and full of confidence that he was completing God's purpose and he was in God's hands even though it was wicked men all around him. When I die, I want to die like that. I'm not talking about crucifixion. I'm talking about with the confidence that I'm in the hands of God and we can because of God's promise to us. So Jesus set that example. And so Joseph, talking to Pilate, Pilate got permission or he got verification from the soldiers that this in fact had happened, that the death had happened and he gave Joseph Permission to go ahead and take care of Jesus's body. It's in Matthew. Yes, it's in Matthew chapter twenty-seven that we're told that Joseph is indeed a rich man. Significance of that is he had land, and he had the means to use a portion of that to, in fact, provide a tomb for Jesus. And we talk about a burial, and we almost have the sense of of our type of burial today where you would dig down into the earth and a body with a casket would be placed into that burial ground. But, in fact, what they had there was a cave-type area. And so into the cleft of the rock, into the cleft of the cave of the mountain, uh, would be cut out a large piece. And <laughs> what would often happen is that you would set that on an incline. And so here is the cave or the rock, and there will be a slight incline, and they would be cut out an opening, and that stone pulled away and pulled up that incline, and then the body set in, and then that stone rolled down that incline to seal that opening. That was the practice of that day, but only those who had means could actually do that. You can imagine if that was to happen today, you've got to have somebody with the equipment uh, to cut, the equipment to pull away, and the equipment to set back. One man can't do that, probably a a line of of animals that would help him do that could, could accomplish that. So Joseph was a man of means, and he could get that done, and that's in fact what he did. And so back in our passage in Mark 15, we see that as Joseph prepared this corpse, this body of Jesus, this dead body of Jesus, that it says in verse 46, he brought a linen shroud and he wrapped him in it. And he says he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. These women have been witnesses at the very crucifixion. Remember that Jesus told John, and speaking to John and his mother, John, take care of my mom. That's basically what he said on the cross. Take care of her. You be a son to her. She'll be a mother to you. Jesus was the oldest in his family. That would make sense. He was... Born first of Mary, the only, the first child that Mary would ever have. So the oldest there, and he would have that responsibility, or he took on that responsibility of caring for her. And so these women had accompanied Jesus there at his crucifixion, and they they stood at a distance where they could see all that happened. And now it tells us that they were there when Joseph took the body and prepared it, and they saw where he laid the body, and they were watching. Why? Because they were going to come back and do further preparation for the body. Why would they come back? What was going on? Well, it tells us in Mark chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed. In other words, just as our tradition, and I think that tradition is accurate, Jesus died on a Friday. The Saturday would have been their Sabbath, but they wouldn't want to do anything on the Sabbath because it was a holy day. So they were going to wait till that whole day was over, and early the next day is when they would come and prepare the body. Early Sunday morning. So when the Sabbath was passed, Mark 16 tells us, verse 1. These two ladies came, and it says, so that, so that they might go and anoint him. They wanted to further prepare. You, you kind of get the sense that Joseph had did preliminary preparation and laid him in the tomb. And now they were going to go and complete that task. But as they were thinking and going, they're wondering. We know, we watch where Joseph, what, the spot that Joseph had picked out. We know where he laid the body. But we got one little problem. How are we going to get it open? How are we going to roll that rock, that huge stone, a boulder? How are we going to move that out of the way so that we can get in in the entrance? So Mark tells us they're thinking about this. Verse 2, very early the first day of the week when the sun had risen. It kind of gives us a timing there. They went to the tomb. Now, some might get the idea that Jesus um, needed to have the stone rolled away so that he could get out the tomb. i got news for you. <laughs> this is the one that could walk on water. <laughs> this is the one that could tell the storm to calm itself down. This is the one that had power over Satan himself and could tell his little demons, get out of here and don't come back. This is the one that had all authority of all things. And so, yes, he died. He said, well, how then did he die? He died because he voluntarily gave himself over to that process and then voluntarily gave his spirit over to life and to death. Again, for you and for me. And so Jesus... The Bible doesn't even give us all of the details of how that happened. It's just the same. But that's how the Bible is. It starts off that way, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created. It doesn't say, you know, God thought and he drummed up. You don't get this music going on and a whirlwind and lights flashing. And all of a sudden, God says, let there be. No, you don't get that. The Bible just says, in the beginning, God created he just spoke and it happened. He just did it. When Jesus uh, resurrected Lazarus, he didn't give a great big speech. Dance around and get all uh, all kind of attention. He just said, Lazarus, come on. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth is the way the King James gets. But just, hey, Lazarus, Lassie, come here, man. He just spoke and it happened. We think of the drama because it is a dramatic act. And it's an amazing thing that happened. Jesus rose again from the dead. He was really dead. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't the angel that brought that about. And the angel didn't remove the stone so that Jesus could get out. He was gone already. Yes, his body was placed in there. There's evidence and there's witnesses. You see in Matthew, it talks about when the angel came down from heaven. It was such a a big, huge event that the earth shook. There was an earthquake. The earthquake isn't what rolled the stone away. To me, the earthquake is just like the music from heaven when an angel appears. Boom! You know, here he is. And he comes and he moves the stone away. The Bible says when the angel came down, and Matthew says, the, the, the guards trembled. Trembled. Now, I want to tell you something. Guards don't like to, to uh, acknowledge that they're afraid of something, that's their very job, is to not tremble. When that angel, one angel, came down, that was it. They was like, oh, we don't want to see nothing else. This is glorious. It's interesting in John that when Jesus was arrested and Peter took out his sword and, and, and went to fighting for Jesus, that Peter said, put, I mean, Jesus said to Peter, you know, put down the sword. I, I don't need that. If I wanted to, I could call angels from heaven. I can call as many as I wanted to. But it's very evident that he wouldn't need many <laughs> to do any job that he needed done. In other words, one angel was sufficient, very powerful, he comes on the scene and whole earthquakes. He rolls the stone away. The Bible doesn't say he has any difficulty doing that. He rolled the stone away so that we could see what was happening or what had already happened inside. The Bible says that the, the, the guards trembled and shook, and it says they became like dead men. They, they couldn't move. They couldn't act. They couldn't guard nothing. Now they were there, and they were evident that evidence, they gave evidence to the fact that the body was put in there, and it was there, but it was now gone, and and they could do nothing to stop what had happened. And so, these women come to the tomb. I'm now in Mark chapter 16. Verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man man, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, it's, it's described as a young man. What else would you use to describe this individual? Matthew tells us he's an angel. Matthew tells us that it's one that the guards trembled at. And the ladies are there in amazement, but it's not the same kind of trembling. You know why? You ever own a dog, and you go and you take him for the walk. Look, you got him on the chain, and you walking him. He might be ferocious to everybody else, but to you, he's just your dog. And when they act wrong, (laughs) he's going to be your dog, all right. And he's going to let everybody know that he's going to protect you. I think there's a different type of reaction with them because the angel's on their side. And even still, he had to remind them, I'm on your side. Don't be afraid, ladies. Don't be afraid. And He didn't say that to the guards. But he says this to the ladies. Don't be afraid. Do not be alarmed, verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. That's a fact. He has risen. That's the fact they weren't aware of. He is not here, something that was obvious to them. See the place where they laid him. In Matthew, he used the term, come, come and see. I want you to look at the evidence. What we, what we are, are, are celebrating today is the greatest thing that ever happened in mankind history. I was on YouTube the other day and just happened to look up like the 100th greatest plays in basketball in the NBA over the last 10 years, the last decade or so. And I was, I was going, bouncing through these plays and, and just in awe of what had happened. And, and then I know that, wait, this is the last 10 years. So some of my favorite, you know, I'm an older guy. Some of my favorite players weren't even on that list. Already forgotten. How, how, how can you forget Jordan? I mean, he has so many plays that, that you know, he could probably take, take up at least 50 <laughs> of the top 100. How could you forget? See, look, after a decade, people who were once amazing are quickly forgotten. But I want to tell you something. 2,000 plus years later, and every week we still celebrate the same individual and what he did and what God did through. Now I want to tell you something. Amen. Who do you know that ever said they were going to die and be killed and then three days, count them, one, two, three, I'm going to rise again. Not sometime later, maybe a week, y'all wait, it might be a month. No, three days later I'm going to rise again. Not I'm going to get sick and I'm going to take a vacation, I'm going to be gone for a while. No, I'm going to be killed by these specific men in this specific way and I am going to rise again, count it, three days later. Can you walk with me just a little bit? Jesus speaks of this. In Mark chapter 2 verse 20, When he was questioned about fasting, how come your disciples don't fast? In verse 20, he answered them, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Now, that's kind of a coded message, saying it's coming a time when I won't be around. He's not very specific there, but he is telling them that you won't always have me here. I'm going to be gone. The plan is not for me to stay around forever here. He makes that clear. But then when you get to chapter 8 of Mark, which we read last time, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. I want you to get it because we asked that question, do you get it in that, in that, in that chapter? It says, he began, I'm in mean, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again the next couple verse next couple words in the next verses and he said this plainly it's not coded anymore he's very specific he's saying look this is what's going to happen to me i'm going to be rejected and that's something that that wouldn't be on, uh, kind of on a radar of the disciples how can you reject a man who healed all these people who, who cast out demons who fed people miraculously who walked on water who calmed storms who raised people from the dead and everybody saw this they were following him around everywhere he went saying Jesus please heal my brother heal my sister heal my mother-in-law he heal my son heal my daughter and he did it How does that man all of a sudden become the rejected one? Why would he even say that? He knew. And he's very specific. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the the religious leaders of the Jews. And it's going to come to the point where they will kill me. He didn't say they're going to try to kill me. They will kill me. And then he also says, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. It says he said that plainly, just like I'm talking to you right now. You see, sometimes we think about the Bible and the the old days as, as if it's just a story. When we fail to realize this is actual history, this is what really happened. Jesus said it. Jesus completed it. So we see that in chapter 8, verse 31, but we also see that in chapter 9, verse 9 through 12. We'll get into chapter 9 next week, but I just wanted to see this, that Jesus had taken a couple, a few of his disciples up, just a special group, to this mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And it says in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. He's very plain. Don't speak about this opening until I'm risen from the dead. Now, look, this is what I love. Look at this, verse 10. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. <laughs> They they, they, they didn't get it. Why why didn't they get it? You don't understand rise and from the dead. You know what dead means. You know what rise means. Why you don't get it? Because it's just that amazing. We've never seen it before like this. And so their minds, they just got this mental block. No, no, I know he said that, but that that don't make sense. Again, chapter 9, verse 30. It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Jesus says it again, very plainly, very clearly. A child can understand that. These men didn't. Why? He used two big two big words it's very plain their minds would not allow them to accept something that was beyond what they could comprehend and break down but then again they're not getting who this Jesus is it doesn't fit their agenda for Jesus to die But he keeps on doing this. Let's look look some more. Chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. We're still in Mark. 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. Very specific, isn't it? The way that he was going to be tortured and ridiculed and mocked and what the result was that he would be killed from that, if he had survived that and not died, He'd be a false prophet. But he said exactly what would happen. And then he said, and three days later, he will rise. He makes it clear to them, doesn't he? He makes it clear. Now, I know what we do. We go, okay, the disciples, they didn't get it. If I was there, I would have like, yeah, I would have understood it. What's stopping you now? You say, well, I understand it, but are you living under that understanding? Look, Jesus is real. His death was real. His resurrection is true and real, and that's a fact, which means everything he said is true. What do you do with a man who says that, that, that he's going to die this way, and three days he's going to rise again, and it happens exactly like that? I'll tell you what you do. You worship him. You don't Everything that he says, and you worship him, or you fear him, and you think his power is coming from somewhere else that I don't trust, except everything he said has been true and verified. So, I ask you, why haven't you committed your life to him? I don't mean just come to church on Easter. I don't mean just come back next Sunday. I don't mean just sit in the pew and listen. I mean, why haven't you c- committed your life to him? Why haven't you said, look, Jesus, you are the real deal. Everything you said is absolutely true. You must be my master. You must be be my Lord. I am compelled to obey you in everything that you say. My life belongs to you. That's the proper response. Anything else is a lack of full faith and trust with who Jesus really is. So he makes it plain to the disciples who he is and what's going to happen to him. And so this invitation by the angel at the tomb to the women to say, come and see. He's saying, look, I came down from heaven to move this stone so you could get in and you could see it. I want you to take a good look. I want you to observe and take in all that is there for you to see. He invites us today, come and look at the evidence for who Jesus is. People think because I'm a preacher, I want them to believe me. The truth is, you don't have to take my word. I don't need you to take my word for it. I want you to come and see. I want you to come and look at God's word. As I talk to people, skeptics, you know, I I ask them, have you listened to what God has to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to quickly put that off. Oh, yeah, yeah, I read, I see. Have you really? (laughs) Have you looked at what God's word says? Now, if you looked at that and you decided not to believe, I will simply just call you a fool. You thought I was going to say something else. You thought I was going to say, okay, oh, well, you chose not to believe. No, you would be a fool. But that's how we are before we come to the knowledge of what God does when he opens our eyes. Because Jesus is real whether you believe it or not. The only thing you do is just choose to close your eyes and ignore the evidence. Ignore the truth of what the women actually saw. Ignore what Jesus has said and what he has stood for. And so if your life goes on without acknowledging Jesus, you are walking that way in spite of the evidence in front of you. Now we have some people who want to say, well, I've looked at the evidence and I don't see it to be real or believable. They will be fools as well. But they're going to pay for that foolishness. Jesus, God calls it not just foolishness. He calls it wickedness and sin. Sin puts blinders on our eyes so that we won't see what is truly obvious to you to to, to be seen. Jesus in his word, God in his word has laid it out so it's obvious what to be seen. I'll ask you a question. Do you know anybody who gave themselves life again? after they were killed. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who claimed that he would die for the sins of all who trust him? Either that person is God or he's crazy. Jesus proved who he is. So the angel said, come and see. I want you to come and I want you to examine the evidence today with a clear and open mind and I want you to see where that evidence leads you I'm already telling you where it's going to lead you so I'm kind of biased in that but I don't care about being biased I care about being right I care about knowing and living by what God's word has said and so the angel says come and see but then the second part of what he says is go and tell if you have actually come to see and have not gone to tell what's wrong with you. Come on now. How can you see what is to be seen and not be excited about it and go and tell? How can you see what has happened and not and not change your whole agenda? It changes your whole life. And you also have a responsibility. <laughs> he says go and tell. This People, this changes the world. This changes everything. Since this is what it is, since this is true, and we examine and see it, we have an obligation now to not close our eyes and act like we didn't see it. What are you going to do with this truth? Are you going to continue to live your life as if nothing dramatic happened? I'm just going to try to put it out my mind as best I can so I can go on on my agenda and not have to do anything. You can't ignore that. That truth grabs you. The angel says, Come and see. Now he says, Go and tell. And that's exactly what they did. They started with the disciples, they went in and told the men what had happened and what they had seen. And that's what I love about the go and tell. All you got to do is go and tell what you saw. Tell what happens in your life. Tell what God has done. Just, just break down what God has done. But you got to examine it first. You got to know what He's done. You got to see it for yourself. And then you are to go and tell others. Show them the evidence. When 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 these marriages went back to the disciples and and the, the first encounter we see is of James excuse me of Peter and John and what do Peter and John do they run to the tomb for themselves they couldn't believe what the what the ladies were saying and they come and they run for themselves and they check it out I love the puppet show that the that the children's group presented and and how entertaining and true that was. Peter and John run and they, they come into the tomb and they observe. And these men, after observing, are convinced. Can you see the light going on now? Jesus did say that. I didn't get it when he said it, but he said that. That's not a coincidence. That's the truth. He said this would happen. In fact, when you read the detail here in Matthew chapter uh, 28 and Mark chapter 16, he says, Look, The the, the angel tells the women to tell the disciples, and he also says, now you tell them what you saw. Tell them they're going to meet up with Jesus in Galilee. Give them specifics. Today, later on today, meet with Jesus in Galilee. You'll see for yourself. In other words, Jesus didn't just... shut it down to this evidence right now. He he didn't just leave everything there. He continued to open their eyes and to let them see this truth. If you don't get the truth, ask God to reveal it to you. Ask him to open your eyes to let you see. And then if you're really asking him, then open your eyes and see. Look, if you're not willing to read his word and to hear it read, you're not opening your eyes at all. You're closing them. I I don't want to see that because it's going to make me do something then I'm going to have to obey him. That's what you're really saying. You're saying, I want to keep on living the life I live, although it's raggedy, it's messed up, it's, it's all wrecked by sin, but it's my life, and I want to keep on going that route. Then just recognize that's a decision you made. But it's not because you've seen the evidence and you believe the evidence. It's because you don't want to see, and you don't want to believe, and you don't want there to be ramifications for Jesus. In other words, Jesus said he's Lord over everything, so you either see the truth and see it as it is and choose to ignore it or deny it, or you see the t- truth and you choose to surrender to it. It says to these ladies, go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. He didn't say make people believe. They simply told the truth. The disciples couldn't believe them. They said, we're going to go and see for ourselves. Now they went and they saw the same thing. Same conclusion. And they come running back to tell everybody else. It's true. Just like the ladies told us, it's true. His body is not there. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. Now the next question is, well, where is he? He would meet up with them later on. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there were over 500 witnesses at one time that saw Jesus after his resurrection. This is not smoke and mirrors, folks. This is not some magic act. This is reality. He say, well, why haven't you heard it before? You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it from this pulpit. I know that. You've heard it from this church. I know you've heard it from the word of God. You may have chosen to dismiss it and disconnect from it because it has a pull on you. There's an obligation that you have. You're going to stand before God. He says, look, April 4th, 2021, clearly presented to you the evidence of, of my word. What did you do after that? Well, I went home, went to the movies, ate dinner, wake up the next morning, went on with the rest of my life. instead of I was fully impacted by the truth of what God had done and his power in my life, and I surrendered to that power. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the truth that has changed all history. Over 2,000 years later, every Sunday we are still talking about this very thing, and it deserves our full attention. It deserves our full embrace. It de- deserves us to turn from our lives and to focus on this Jesus who was risen from the dead by your power and by your purpose. Lord, my life has been impacted by it, and I thank you for that. I've been snatched from death and hell and promised eternity because of who Jesus is. I had the privilege now of being called into your work. Just like the angel said, come and see and go into. You're calling others right now to that same observation and obligation to come and to go. And I pray, Lord, that you would bear this truth in our hearts and in our minds. So that this won't be a one Easter Sunday message, but it will be your truth resting in our souls. And causing unrest until we surrender to full obedience to you. We are feeble people, Lord, and we acknowledge the truth in them. Like we didn't see it, I pray, Lord, that You will call us. You're calling us into a church now, so we'll remind each other of Your truth. We'll challenge each other to live by that truth regularly and consistently by Your power. The same power that raises Jesus from the dead is the power that gives us the ability to live in obedience to His Word. We thank You for that power thank you for His presence with us through your Holy Spirit. We make no excuses, Lord, and we have heard your truth and we want to walk in it. Encourage and challenge our hearts to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in agreement said,